Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is John Wiley, who's the president, global natural resources um, leader for Proudfoot Consulting. Um, Proudfoot, a global operational consulting group in the natural resources industry, um, focusing on productivity, improvement through effective employee engagement, active supervisory and implementation of real-time fact-based management behaviors. Um, I was keen to get John on the podcast to talk about how mining, how the sort of mining companies and, in, and the actual industry will adapt to this new environment. Um, we will uh, obviously entering uh, COVID-19 um, and how mining companies are actually preparing for this new norm. Um, and also, what is this new norm um, and the future of mining? Um, obviously, at the recording of this, this is in April 2020, um, and we're in lock. Most countries around the world are in lockdown due to COVID-19. So, although a number of operations are still uh, running, um, I think a lot of mining companies now are looking at doing different. Uh, obviously, have been forced to do a number of different things and how they're managing their operations. So. Um, John's got a good perspective on some of these mining companies and what they're looking and what they're planning to do. So let's get straight to this podcast and that's welcome John Wiley. How you doing John? Hey I'm great uh, Rob thanks for inviting me. No I really really appreciate your time uh, taking the time to do this podcast. Um, obviously you're over in Canada and I'm in the in the UK um, so if you can just uh, give the audience a little bit about uh, uh, tell us a, a little bit about yourself, your background, um, your career, how you've, how your career journey has developed, um, and maybe tell the audience uh, who, and some of the people that actually know you something that they may not know about you. So if you, yeah, just give us a brief uh, background of your history. Sure, absolutely, Rob. Thanks. Um, I've been working with uh, Alexander Proudfoot or Proudfoot now, Proudfoot Consulting, uh, for uh, about 34 years. Um, prior to joining Proudfoot, I, I worked in the well, I worked variously as a production manager, a technical director uh, for um, metal fabrication companies and and, and a couple nonprofits. Um, when I started uh, Proudfoot, we were very much focused on the uh, implementation of a management operating system, or a MOS, which has, a, as part of that, a, a um, focus on supervisory behaviors and short interval controls. Uh, since then, it's, it's, uh, Proudfoot has sort of evolved its offer. I think there's still a lot of the core um, focus on uh, supervisors actively managing, but it's become a little bit more behavioral. Um, the interesting thing, I guess, about Proudfoot as an operation consultancy, I mean, they're 74 years, 
they were uh, probably the originator in operating consulting, you know, the Arthur D. Littles and McKinsey's, which predate Proudfoot, um, a little bit are, you know, our strategy firms. Uh, Arthur D. Little is a little bit more of an engineering firm. Um, Proudfoot's, I guess, uniqueness is, is the way that it deploys its solution. Uh, it's very much a one-to-one uh, person-to-person uh, uh, coaching and, and training type of thing. So you don't have a bunch of guys sitting in a room developing uh, a solution and then, you know, sending it to the client. You're actually sitting across from the client, developing it with them and implementing it. Um, so, yeah, so my first jobs were uh, in, in Proudfoot were uh, I did a, a job with Air Canada rebuilding aircraft um, engines, jet engines, and then rebuilding aircraft. And then I ended up, um, because of that maintenance background, and maintenance is always a big part of um, mining and natural resources, I ended up well, we're going over to Australia when we opened up the Australian unit and working in Australia for five years, principally in Mount Isa. And then I went, ended up in China um, helping to um, open up our Asian unit. This was some time ago and ended up uh, over in after the Asian unit, which was ba- basically Hong Kong, China, Taiwan, and uh, Singapore, Malaysia. Then I ended up coming back to Canada and then going over to South Africa and opening up the South African unit when, uh, when apartheid um, ended and, and, uh, and the, you know, the company went or the country went through a huge economic uh, jumpstart, really interesting period of time. So about uh, 10 years ago, Profit used to be um, a regional base, uh, based business which has some uh, peculiarities to it. And it also, you know, some positives and negatives. One of the, one of the negatives is, is when you're a regional based company, it doesn't matter uh, what it is, you miss some of that global opportunity. And so uh, natural resources really as a global um, company, we decided uh, internally to uh, create a, uh, a global best practice model or an industry vertical, um, which had some uh, uh, unique transition points for Proudfoot uh, internally as we moved from a regional model to a global model. But um, but we did that about ten years ago, and I uh, and I uh, started that process or I led that process. And so since then. The organization, Proudfoot, has moved to uh, industry vertical model. So um, we've moved away from the regional, and we're now managing our business on much more of a global basis, which probably reflects an awful lot of the way the business is being run. Yeah, certainly. What would you say some of the sort of unique, uh, unique proposition would you say Proudfoot give to their to their clients compared to maybe other people? other companies acting in that space? Sure. So the uniqueness about profit is that we try to work in, you know, I guess if you look at, if you step back and look at a lot of operational consultancies, you have um, a technical group of people uh, and some 
management consultants that are very are very much uh, generalists. So those are the two groups. You have technical, which might be the golders of the of the world, and and um, some some SME subject matter expert type people that are looking at hydrology, very specific type of uh, in-depth, highly technical type of solutions. And then you have general consultants. So those are the t the alpha and the omega. And the general consultants, you know, you could be working as a as a pro uh, as a as a production uh, guy for Volkswagen, you know, one one month or one week, and then uh, working for a mining company. And yeah. so, what you're really looking at as a general consultant, you're not looking at uh, at industry necessarily uh, issues, but you're looking at general management issues, which are fine. And as a as a technical consultant, you're not looking at uh, management issues. You're looking very specifically at industry issues. And Profit work tries to work in 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 between those two spots in 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 the center, if you will. Understanding the industry, because you have an industry vertical, you have consultants that have been working in the industry or ex-industry, and as well marrying them with um, either training them how to be a consultant. And, and being a consultant is a little bit different because as an SME or as a subject matter expert or as a, as a line manager, you're doing, uh, you're creating change to a certain extent by uh, creating alignment and then, you know, setting direction. And you're doing it sort of like from a, 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 an authority a position, a position of authority, either based on knowledge or based on position. Uh, and as a management consultant, you're really using an influencing style. You're not, you, you know, although some consultants, uh, you know, cover them in, themselves in the cloak of management, they're really not management. If you want to be an effective consultant, you have to change people's opinions. And you can't do that by being directive. You have to do that by, by influencing. Um, so, so profit tries to work in that in the center space. I think, really, Rob, the big issue about consulting, uh, if we want to talk about the you know three hundred pound gorilla in the room, is all around sustainability, yeah. and sustainability of results. So, actually, creating results is actually, um, it's it's the easier ask to create the initial results that's, you know, you can focus on, on it. Uh, you can bring in some group of people that understand it. You can, you know, you can get the company up it, you can sprint to achieve it. And then, and then you have to sustain it. And the sustaining part is really the issue for operational consulting is, you know, um, I guess some operational consultants have sort of, you know, taken the view that, well, you know, you've achieved it. Now you have to sustain it and that should be easy. Your management team should be able to do that. No, that's not actually true. Uh, Cause they sustained, they developed it, you know, using the consultants. Uh, sustaining it really is transitioning, um, you know, activity into understanding. And I think that that's where Proudfoot is focusing, where, where, you know, achieving the result is almost a given. What you want to, uh, what you want to do is you want to achieve sustainable results yeah. and you want to achieve sustainable, measurable results. So I guess one of the things that Proudfoot does that's different is that we, we are, are uh, fanatical about, you know, measuring, you know, our and your the client improvement. We put it up on the website. Uh, we aggregate it on a on a monthly basis. We can say this is the number of 
of you know benefits that we've achieved um you know we don't do it by client or anything it's an aggregate number but you know that's a very much a part of the of the proudfoot um dna because we believe that if if you know it's worth doing it's worth measuring and actually the measurement reinforces you know yes we're making a change yes we're doing something so if you're going to coach for behaviors or if you're going to coach to improve supervisory or management capability um, even if you're going to coach to to create an executive alignment you should see uh, an operating indicator benefit yeah and that and that and then that actually reinforces all of those behaviors by saying, oh, look, we're achieving, you know, we're achieving more tons per operating hour, equivalent flat haul, or whatever you're going to look at, or better recoveries. That means that this, this the, the supervision might be, you know, uh, the, the behaviors are working, or the worker skills program is working, or the way that we're managing the, the, the process, or the trucks, or the shift change, you know, that's working. Okay, let's keep doing that. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Um, I've got one last question before we actually get into the main body of this uh, of this podcast around obviously what com- mining companies are getting ready to uh, or what they're doing to get ready to this new new environment. Um, what sort of what sort of problems and challenges do you help mining companies with in terms of um, obviously providing services? So that's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty broad range uh, solution that Proudfoot offers. Um, we, have a ten- we have a tendency to uh, look a little bit broadly across an organization. So we'll, we'll look at things like, um, you know, let's, let's look at productivity or let's look at um, uh, improving uh, safety, you know, from a, from a point of view of operations uh, management and how we're managing that. And, and you know, let's look at uh, reducing costs or improving uh, all in sustaining costs. And so that, those types of big uh, elements have a, have a number of, uh, of focuses that, that hang off of them, if you will. So, you know, while we can be very, um, very focused uh, and, you know, relatively narrow. So we could say, let's put together, you know, a risk dashboard and understand where we stand uh, in terms of material risks and our critical controls. And, you know, let's look at that for ESG. So we can get very specific around, you know, the, the, the scope or, uh, but we, we generally find a lot of these things are interrelated. Like, so for instance, if you're going to, re- you know, look at all in sustaining costs and managing that, then, you know, you could start at drilling and blasting operations and creating increased backlog and, and looking at your fragmentations to get, you know, things through the, the crusher. You could look at that, that deep bottlenecking across that entire value chain. Yeah. But as well, you'd also look at maintenance. And as well, as if you're going to look at maintenance, you have to look at supply chain. So uh, because these things, uh, an awful lot of things are interwoven, we have a tendency to take a holistic view as opposed to a silo view. Yeah. And it's and and I could really talk about it as you're optimized you're looking for global optimization as opposed to like local optimization. So it's great to go in and focus on mine operations and increase tons or reduce, you know, tons per operating hour costs or something like that. 
but if it if it hang if the bottleneck then mo just moves to you know the crusher or to the plant or even to the outbound logistics and you know you know really as a mining company when you make money you're you're selling more concentrate or ounces or tons so you know you want to look across that entire value chain and profit has a tendency to look at you know fairly broadly um across those not only the, the just the value chain but across the human side and the system side so yeah. it's not just it's more of a holistic view yeah um i know you've obviously been doing a lot of research around this and uh, i suppose we're in well whether we are in the middle of uh, this uh, covid crisis or lockdown crisis whether in the middle whether at the beginning on we're certainly not at the end um what are sort of mining and obviously mining companies are looking at changing their plans and looking at what they're going to be doing moving forward um what are uh, from obviously from your uh, research and from your um, conversations you've been having what are mining companies looking to do at the moment to, to prepare for this new change the I think you want to look at mining companies and you also want to look at um, other major industrial companies because there is there is some similarities and there are some differences so for instance mining companies generally are fairly conservative uh, realistically, they're they're a conservative group of people. They're they they don't you know mining is really all around managing risk, so uh, they don't really want to accept an awful lot of risk. So um, they are they are innovative, uh, especially around use of technology. But you know, there's some technologies that have been out there for a while that would that the that the mining companies haven't implemented very quickly. And and part of that is maybe, you know, having a positive change model. You know, how do we create change? And also, how do we manage stakeholders? So for instance, automation, which uh, you'd see if you looked broadly across industries, you're seeing robots across a number of industries. And while mining is starting to approach that, the issue that they have to try to unpack and, and deal with is, you know, if we move to an automated, uh, uh, to an automation model, what do we do with frontline employees and how does that affect the community? So those, those types of things um, act as a little bit of a barrier. But currently, I would say that the COVID crisis has changed that landscape. An awful lot of companies are now uh, having, you know, just, you know, necessity being the mother of invention, are having to find new ways of dealing with things. And I mean, it was interesting. We've been doing a number of, 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 of research projects, you know, because, you know, profit, half of the business is sort of mining and natural resources, and the other half of the business is industrials. And you're seeing a lot of change on the industrial side. In fact, if you look at, um, you know, especially in terms of food distribution, logistics, any of that type of thing, that that part of part of our world has changed dramatically yeah. in the last six weeks. And you know, there was the CEO of Tesco recently was saying, you know, we have changed more in the last uh, eight weeks than we have in the last twenty years. Yeah. And, and, and I suppose with the, the mining industry, they are always slow to 
adopt a new change. Um, so, yeah, they could probably learn some, from some other industries. Well, yeah, and I would typify the, the mining industry as being very pragmatic. So yeah. if somebody does come up, you know, once somebody implements a solution, the, you know, the rest of the, uh, of the industry rushes towards that. And, and, and I think that, you know, so pragmatic uh, uh, deployment of new solutions is is great. So there, there's rapid uptake. The um, how how innovative organizations are, especially around, you know, some of the things not necessarily that affect um, operations, but are not necessarily directly involved in the operations. Like so, for instance, what's your partnership model look like? How are you going to, you know, we had a a, a huge uh, shift in you know, workforce management by going to uh, contract mining, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, that was, a, that was quite, uh, uh, um, you know, that was quite innovative within the, or within the industry and it, and it became quite a pragmatic solution. And a lot of people moved to that. Then this, the pendulum swung back a little bit. So I would say, yeah, the, the industries um, in Industrial side are finding that a change is much easier to implement and they can be much more uh, aggressive in terms of their concepts, in terms of their thoughts. You know, the, the organizations will actually flex. Um, and that's sort of being proven that you can, we can now try to address some, uh, you know, substantial and significant issues that previously industrial companies were a little bit um, hesitant about, uh, you know, you know, looking at or contemplating. Um, mining companies, I think, can learn from the same sort of thing that, that we are going to see. Um, you know, a significant shift in uh, localization uh, as coming out of COVID. I mean, there's, I think you see a number of issues that are, are already starting to emerge. The, you know, the, this globalization model is changing. Uh, we're, we, from in the mining industry, use fly-in, fly-out operations. We use uh, expats. You know, we're going to see, you know, um, real issues around trying to fly, you know, senior or executive management around the world and have them go and work in other areas. That's, you know, the local population is just going to say, no, I'm sorry, we, we don't want, we yeah. don't want that. So it, localization is going to become a big issue as well. The, the other thing that, that we're seeing certainly in uh, industrial space that the mining industry is going to start to look at is, the whole digital solution and how much management actually needs to be on site, what core activities actually need to be on site and what core activities can be done either, you know, via centralized or via remote. And that's, those are not just the typical support activities such as, you know, mine planning and, and geology and technical, you know, services and project management, all of that can be done remotely and it's, and it's being done remotely in, in other industries. So I think that those are almost the first uh, areas that, that mining companies are, can look at what you know back to your question rob when you were saying you know what are they looking at right now i think yeah. you know we're in the middle of the crisis so 
the first um, the first reaction is always to try to deal with the new realities around physical distancing. So mining companies are looking at, um, you know, an awful lot of underground mining, certainly in in the Americas and and in uh, any uh, mechanized mining is is done remotely or is done by an individual themselves. So there's no physical distancing necessarily in the operation itself. You know, you're, you're an operator, you're running the piece of equipment by yourself to begin with. Um, uh, the supervisor needs to check on you to make sure that you're safe. But the real time that we're having to manage physical distancing is at, is at shift changes, at, you know, um, when you're going underground in the cage or when you're, when you're going in a bus out into the, into the pit. Uh, so um, it's those shift changes, breaks, meal times, transportation to site. Those are, those are the practical matters that mining companies are dealing with right now, just if we want to keep the operations operating. The, yeah. That physical distancing and that management um, is, going to ch is going to start uh, provoking thoughts around, you know, well, how do, we, how do we manage a shift change? Or do we need to, you know, maybe we're going to shift change by level. Maybe we change the way that we blast and, and uh, need to have clearance. Maybe we're not going to, you know, go to ANFO. Maybe we'll go to continuous miner, road header type stuff or um, non um, you know, self-tapping, um, non-explosive uh, uh, rock-breaking techniques. So there's all of all of those uh, pressures are starting to um, create some new uh, thoughts. But re realistically, putting it in practice right now, people are are using essentially um, physical distancing as a, as a key to start to change some of the behaviors. For instance, who should be on the mine? If there's less people, that's the first thing, less people um, to deal with, that makes physical distancing easier. Yeah, I mean, probably going on to my next question is um, around operations. Um, Post-COVID, what other things would you say will be different from an operational perspective. And obviously you mentioned um, social distancing, maybe not as many people on site. So management may not necessarily take a step back, but they won't be, they won't be physically present on site as much. Um, and what other things have you heard from obviously some of the research and some of the people that you've been talking to? Um, what kind of other things in operations could mining companies implement post COVID? Well, so I think that the I think that there's a significant opportunity in on that whole digital side, not only as an enabler. So, for instance, if you're going to move um, management off site, so that that in that necessitates a change in the style of management. That's that changes the competency of uh, and capability of supervisors. So, so you may end up um, with a much flatter organization. The, but the first thing that you start to look at, and I think that mining companies are already starting to see this, is what is really uh, true value-adding activity. So the first thing that mining companies or 
companies and you know in general deal with is when when they were looking at these types of things is what is core and what is non-core what is actually adding value and what is driven by internal procedures or inter or or internal standards that maybe fit and maybe don't fit so an awful lot of of work practices um, aren't by in the by their own nature are not designed they're not a designed work stream or a designed work practice or they they are evolving so whether you're looking at payroll or accounts payable or accounts receivable or warehousing or mine operations or mine planning any or maintenance planning any of those types of things those are evolved work flows and work practices so when you start to really look at at um, you know your operation and say okay I want to I want to reduce the number of people that are on site potentially the first place that you look is looking at that work process and say what work actually needs to be done yep. so the first thing that you do is you try to eliminate work not eliminate positions eliminate work how do we reduce duplication? How do we reduce the, uh, you know, decision-making levels? How do we give the people on the front line the information that they need to make decisions? And then how do we create capability within them to, to, uh, to make decisions? So the, a big movement in uh, the, in, in, on the industrial side to go, if you want uh, a comparison, is high-speed manufacturing was really leveraged by a couple of things. First of all, very detailed uh, planning and highly repetitive sort of activity. Um, and then the second thing is delivery in line of supplies and, and supplier partners. So, so that really we, the decisions that were being made on the manufacturing floor had already been decided in a in a planning session that happened 12 weeks before because everybody works on a 12-week uh, rolling schedule and and typically we're looking at automotive here as a high-speed manufacturing this is well documented there's there's um, a couple two or three case studies about you know one um, by the MIT that talks about you know really transition from a craft industry uh, which essentially typified the uh, European high-end uh, cars you know the Aston Martins uh, Bentley's Rolls Royces those were you know craftsmen type things that's sort of where mining is right now we have highly skilled operators that are craftsmen um, in a lot of cases the supervision can't necessarily do those jobs um, to the same level that the craftsmen can um, but that's that's neither here nor there I mean that's I don't mean to go down that rabbit hole yeah um, in so in order to move to a higher speed, whether it's Porsche or whether it's Ferrari or BMW, any of those guys, they had to they had to keep that uh, craftsman uh, capability, but uh, enable it. And so they they ended up, tr uh, you know, really changing not only the flow of work, but uh, and as well giving that craftsman the. The, the tools in order to do his job um, 
without having to be, if, if you will, quote unquote, managed. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, what kind of what kind of things can we learn from these other primary industries, whether it's the automotive industry, whether it's um, aerospace, whether it's the oil and gas. I mean, we always seem to be behind the sort of oil and gas industry in not necessarily the way we're thinking, but implementing, whether it's implementing processes, implementing new technology, we always seem to be behind them. Um, is it a time now because of this lockdown and what's we've, what we've seen has happened, is it a time for the mining industry to say, come on, let's not be behind these guys all the time. Let's try and reinvent some of the practices that we do in mining. Oh, I, I agree. Absolutely. I think that the great, the, the big differentiator between oil and gas and mining to a certain extent is um, the oil and gas and potentially by its nature has, uh, has, you know, readily adopted remote working and, and technology, digital technology. And I guess this is where I was going is that whether it's manufacturing or oil and gas or anything like that, you want to uh, reduce the amount of complexity at the point of execution. So as work is being done, you want to eliminate uh, decision-making and variability at that point, at that decision point, at that point where, where you know, I'm walking into a header and, or into a drift and I'm, and I'm saying, okay, well, you know, let's look at the situation and then, okay, you know, this is what I have to do next. Um, you, you actually uh, want to uh, uh, do planned work uh, and plan that work in detail in advance so that all of those decisions around that point of execution are already made and you've already solved all the problems. The biggest problem that you have in, in mining necessarily is the variability of, you have three main issues. One is the variability of the ore body and well, how well understood is that? And that includes ground conditions, if you will and grade and, and all of that, all of the coal minerals, that type of stuff. So let's put all that complexity in, into a box. Then the next complexity that you have is around shared time and space. So you have uh, a location and an individual with skills and a machine working in an area. The complexity is when, when you try to... Um, share that space and time with another uh, agency. So for instance, mine operations and maintenance or uh, mine operations and survey or maintenance and ground control, you know, any of those types of types of things. So when you're sharing a time and space across a silo, if you haven't already figured out the, the, how are we going to, you know, should we, can we actually share this? Even at a maintenance point of view, can electricians work next to the, the mill rights, you know, on, on the same set, on the, on the same piece of equipment, what does the lockout look like? So you want to plan all of that work in advance so that when you're when you're in the moment or when you're executing, all of, that, all of that complexity has been reduced. And we now understand this is how we're going to do things. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to do that, management then changes from being the person that goes out onto the floor and says, okay, listen, this is how we're going to solve the problem, um, to being the person that puts together the plan and communicates the plan. And the execution happens 
uh, at site. Then that starts to allow people to be remote. The oil and gas use the digital technology not only for digital monitoring to say, you know, am I do I need a guy at the wellhead or you know, I can operate this this um, you know these pumps remotely. I, I, I'll go, I'll send a, an operator out to go and walk the floor to make sure they're picking up some physical characteristics that I don't, I'm not able to remote monitor. But other than that, they've basically moved to that to that distancing model. Um, so I think that the the our management style, um, how we met, how we plan and schedule work, and the detail level that we plan and schedule it to. Uh, are potential changes that that mining companies can address, and when they address that, that reduces the number of people that they need on site, yeah, which is a post which is a post COVID solution. Yeah. So obviously, we've just we've spoken about what changes could potentially be made. If we look sort of further into the future, once COVID nineteen is sort of out the way, I don't think it's going to be completely out the way. But if it's not necessarily the talking point, we're all out of lockdown, so that could be I don't know twelve eighteen months time. Um, what would you? How would you then see the future of mining moving forward? Um, is it going to be obviously more digital, which I probably believe it will be, as you as you mentioned? Will companies still continue to grow, or will they sort of contract a little bit and rely? rely more on technology um again through various people that you've been speaking to what what have their thoughts been well i think let's look at a post-covid um world um from the point of view of of what's that going to look like because i think we have to have a shared at least a shared view of, of what what potentially that could look like i think that what you know right now um as as we're in the in the lockdown stage, what we're finding is is that there's a, a significant unemployment, yeah. uh, and that this has a significant impact. And mining, to to a great extent, goes through cycles based on uh, su- supply and demand. We, you know, we've seen fifteen percent of the of the uh, copper uh, supply sort of shut down. And, you know, and copper prices reduce oil and gas. I mean, we're at $10 a barrel. I mean, seriously, we, you know, we haven't seen that for 50 years. Um, you know, I would, I would imagine the demand for, uh, you know, that uh, really for iron ore may pick up because of uh, post um post-COVID government spending to try to restart the economy. Uh, they'll, they'll spend it on infrastructure. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, my crystal balls is as good as anybody yeah. else's, but you know, so I'm, I'm, that's I'm what listening. We're yeah, that's what we're hoping. But you know, the, you know, the United States has uh, 30 million people who have signed up for unemployment. Canada, 10 million people have signed up for unemployment. Uh, I mean, that's partly a reflection of the size of the economy. I'm sure that the the Australians are in the same sort of. So we have an awful lot of unemployed people. Yeah. The 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 push for um, uh, from governments and uh, you know to to a certain extent is going to be to get these mines restarted because they do represent local employment. So I think that early days. Um, 
the you know there will be pressure from shareholders, stakeholders, communities, government to get the mines restarted. How the mining companies restart them is, I think, something that they want to be thinking about right now, yeah. because they don't necessarily need the same level of management on site. And maybe that's not the best use of management either. Maybe some of that management can be off site and centralized. Uh, you're still employing people, but they're not at the site. They're maybe sitting in in a in a regional center. Um, I was uh, gonna, I'm just going to just uh, just say something but in there. Sorry. Um, okay. Have you have you noticed some operations stop then? Because quite a few people that I have spoken to um, predominantly have got operations in Australia and across Africa. They have sort of continued in operation. Um, some of, uh, for instance, in Africa, some of the, a lot of the expats have either left the country that they've been working in and gone back to their home country, or a few of them have gone to a major city within that country and potentially waiting to get out of that country because they don't know how long, how, and obviously most borders have, have been closed. So they've, they're waiting to get an expatriate flight out of the country. However, operations have been running as good as, or probably not as good as they have been, but not too much, not too much different. And obviously management have been um, managing remotely from wherever they are. Um, and obviously you mentioned some, some operations may have sort of stopped and how they restarted. Because uh, I, I haven't seen some of that. Have, have you, is there, is there operations in Canada that have sort of stopped? Oh. Yeah, so there's a number of the Arctic uh, mines have stopped operations completely, okay. partly and withdrawn, partly because the medical infrastructure in the in remote uh, areas just, you know, if if they had an outbreak of COVID in in some of the remote, uh, you know, mining communities, uh, the mining community just doesn't have the have the local capability to be able to to deal with that. So they've shut operations down. Uh, Glencore has talked about restarting a couple of its operations. Um, uh, you know, so I think that there's some operations that have gone on to care and maintenance, yes. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, yes, some operations have continued, but I mean, the, you don't you know, you don't lose 15% of the, of the world's copper supply um, you know, without having some impact in Latin America. So I would imagine that, you know, Chile, Latin America, there's, you know, they may not have moved to care maintenance, but they, that they, but they may have moved to, uh, you know, lower, lower um, production rates. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, people are looking at the, at the, you know, so coal guys would be definitely, you know, producing because that's an energy, uh, you know, a commodity, but I would say that uh, an awful lot coming out of, if not right now, coming out of the COVID crisis is, is we're going to see a reduced uh, consumer demand and consumer good demand drives an awful lot of manufacturing and an awful lot of manufacturing is driven by uh, uh, natural resources, uh, commodity production, you know, in industrial minerals and, and you know, aluminum and things like that. So, uh, so I think the um, the post COVID period is going to be high, higher unemployment uh, and more 
localization, which is going to mean that uh, communities are going to want to see mining companies and natural resources companies employ local people, yeah, um, as opposed to you know, fly people around. And I don't know how necessarily that looks in places like Western Australia, but, you know, I, I you know, broadly, I, I think that there, while there may be exceptions, generally what you're going to see is a push to um, produce. And if you have low demand and higher production, then you're going to see an impact on prices. And I was going to say, uh, you obviously mentioned, obviously, uh, companies looking at more regional practices. Um, so with obviously communities and stakeholders uh, becoming more important, how will mining companies move towards uh, more um, CSG and sustainable practices do you see post-COVID-19? So I think that the, that model is was already something that was under consideration or under review in, in you know whether you know across a, a broad number of 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 groups whether it's um you know barrack or or rio talking about how to engage with local communities um and local governments um and and you know anglo you know a number of a number of mining houses i don't think that there's any exception have been talking or or at least postulating how do we um how do we support a a, a local uh, local communities differently and i think that generally what we're going to see is local communities require infrastructure i think that the government partner is prepared to be a partner in in that, um, I think that uh, as well, mining companies are going to have to, or you know, how are we going to deal with artisanal mining? Uh, how are we going to deal with um, secondary employment or or small to medium enterprise development? So it's so the offer is going to have to broaden um, from a mining point of view, from a mining company point of view. What are you know, in order to uh, work as an active stakeholder or shareholder in this, uh, I'm going to have to share ownership. I'm going to have to share decision making. I'm going to have to, um, uh, you know, share potentially uh, how the how the mine is operated and make some decisions around that. So it may may be that um, you know I'm not optimizing for price, maybe I'm optimizing for employment. Um, you know, so there's 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 a number of, of different models, but I think that that we're going to see uh, greater integration with the local communities. Um, and it'll broaden in terms of what mining companies are having to deliver. Maybe it's you know, it's going to be I you know, you can mine over there if you provide clean water over here. There's, uh, you know, I need clean energy across the nation. You have to build a railroad if you want access to this, to this asset. So I think that. Um, so in theory, they're having more bargaining power if they want to, if they want to come and mine here. It's and I suppose mining companies do this to some extent, but you're probably going to see it more so. So you're going to you're going to see more, much more power at the regional level as opposed yeah. to the, the national federal level. So, for instance, very much um, the situation in Indonesia, whereby, you know, the federal or the national government said, yes, you have a mining right. Yes, that 
that that is your mine. And then and then the mining companies had to deal with the with the regional governors and say, okay, right now, you know, how how do I help support so support you know this the the region. Uh, and so you're actually you actually have many more stakeholders, whereas before you had, you know, it was, there were limited stakeholders, and stakeholder management was a lot easier, and you could create alignment. Now you have much more many we have many more stakeholders. NGOs are becoming stakeholders. The community is a stakeholder, and then there's uh, sections within the state uh, the community that become stakeholders. So it's not just a you know, it's not a, a uniform, holistic type of, of thing. You're, you're having to deal with multiple parties. That changes, I mean, just the requirements for a, a mine general manager has, has changed so dramatically that, uh, in the last 10 years that it's not, it's, you know, the capability for an individual. Now you're looking at, at a team that needs to, to run this. And, and, and part of that mine, uh, and, and management of that asset is is what is the what is the uh, benefit to the community? I mean, that's the license to operate type stuff. Yeah. And and you have to make that very you know you have to make that very visible to them. So marketing becomes a, a and communication becomes a big part. So the I think that you know the nature of binding is is post COVID is is. The, the communities are, and to a certain extent, the issues that that are being brought up in COVID, meaning, you know, the localization and um, employment, and how much that that uh, mining company is supporting, you know, you know, if if you will, not only indigenous development and Aboriginal employment and all of those types of, of issues are going to are really going to come to the forefront. Yeah. Um, obviously, digital probably is going to play more of a major part in mining, let alone every other industry out there and the way that we live. Um, so if mining be, obviously becomes more digital. How do we offset the loss of entry-level jobs? Yeah. So, <laughs> actually, the, you know, what we've seen here, you know, again, let's let's – Let's lean on experience of other industries. You know, the 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 first industries that went through a uh, uh, digital uh, uh, revolution was banking and finance. Yeah. Um, all all of those back office processes started to get uh, uh, automated. That that was offset then by banking and financing offering more products and higher, if you will, touch, um, you know, customer service type of things. Um, but the, 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 the people that were really affected weren't the, weren't the guys that were processing paper. The, pro the guys that were processing paper became the guys that the people, sorry, that became answering the phones. Uh, what really changed was management structures to a certain extent. The middle manager uh, role changed from the person that was collecting information and sending it upwards and then taking information and sending it downwards. They, you know, they were basically a very much a transaction role. Now, now uh, under, uh, you know, in digital, they, be, you know, they had to become um, 
they had to take more of a leadership as opposed to a management role. So they needed to set direction and, 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 and start, it was almost, it became a levels of work type of thing. So that's what really what we're going to see with a digital solution. The frontline worker, yes, the numbers may change. How, how do mining companies offset that? They're going to have to start small to medium enterprises. So they're going to have to look at a solution um, that's outside. How do, how do we create economic activity in this region? It's not going to be just how do we um, mine this asset? The, so they're, so that's going to be part of the sale. In order to get the government to you know, give them the license to operate, they're going to have to come up with a, a solution that not just, you know, we're going to protect your water and we're not going to uh, interfere with the environment. Now it's going to be um, part of what we're going to do is, is uh, develop this asset and we're going to use that money to help create this economic activity over here, and we're going to use some other money to pay you and, and give you um, uh, infrastructure. You know, so it, it, the, the, that mining methodology, that, that whole complexity of, and, and that whole uh, license to operate is going to change. And because that is changing, and we now need to change the, the, the way that we spend and, uh, and how profits are dis distributed, that's going to have to change the cost structure of mining companies. Yeah, yeah. Um, coming on to the last part of, um, of this podcast, um, something that you've um, sort of called agile mining. Um, how can sort of mining companies become more agile? So agile mining for us is sort of answering the solution. How, how do you um, uh, start your miner mining uh, activity faster? Yeah. And maybe, maybe rather than, uh, you know, a significant infrastructure build up, um, maybe you start a little bit smaller and expand it as opposed to, you know, building it for the entire life cycle of the mine or, 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 or body. So rather than trying to build a, um, a 20 year mine or a 50 year mine, uh, you're, you're building, you know, quite a, you know, a smaller operation to begin economic activity, uh, and start, uh, shareholders engagement and things like that, but you're not doing it at the, you know, um, million ton, uh, level, which has all kinds of, you know, benefits of scale and things like that. But, but rather than say a, a million tons, you're doing it at, um, a hundred thousand tons and you're going to, you know, uh, and your plant is now a plant that, uh, can process a hundred thousand tons of materials or, you know, you you know, 5,000 tons a day, 10,000 tons a day, um, and it's modular. And, and you build out that kit. There's trade-offs. You could, you, you know, if it's an underground operation, um, you could end up sterilizing part of the ore body depending on where, you know, how well understood you understand the, the ore body. But the, the benefit is, is that you start engaging uh, shareholders you know, much earlier. So you're looking at a at a 12 or 18 month build, um, as opposed to a couple year build. Um, so a little bit faster uh, to first door, um, and because of that, that 
that starts to engage the community and starts to create cash flow. Yeah. And to a certain extent, the the the, the mine is self-funding. Yeah. So I was going to say, is, that, is the main issue around getting uh, money back to the shareholders, quick returns, because obviously mining is a long game. Um, and obviously from what I, I hear over the last well, X amount of years, obviously money needs big mining in, uh, put into, into projects. And I think some people being not putting money into mining because of the, the long payback. So you say in, if they look at it, look at a, a project in a different way where money can go back to shareholders or investors a lot quicker, it potentially could be more attractive. Yeah. You're looking for less money up front yeah. uh, to begin with. And you're proving the the ore body and and you know capability and all of that much faster um so it's it's you know it's let's let's do um you know i don't want to call it a pilot but you know let's let's create uh the mining company start open up the ore body let's generate some money and that reduces the risk of operation which allows people to you know more uh, more people are interested in funding and maybe the funding, you know, comes from, you know, part of it, it comes from the community and the community becomes stakeholders and things like that. So when you're, when you, when you scale down the operation, you scale down the need for capital in order to get started. And when you're doing that, you may, you may be able to scale down, um, you know what? If, what are what's the economic cutoff grade? You know, if I'm if I'm a smaller mine and I have uh, a smaller need for capital upfront, then maybe I don't need a, a huge, you know, or huge. Maybe I can I can suffer or I can live with a, a lower grade operation, but I'm I'm allowing um, you know I'm allowing the mine to get started a little bit faster as well that then goes into you know can i can i reopen up or old um uh, ore bodies and can i do that using a digital solution and a remote uh, mining solution and if i start small you know then you know then that's a little bit easier so i think that the drive is going to be for um you know i think the future is smaller and agile as opposed to bigger yeah, understand. Um, and last sort of question, um, what is the future of mining projects? Um, and how would you say mining companies uh, engage with sort of companies like EPCM type companies and contractors? Well, the, the yeah, so again, I, I like looking across, you know, I, I don't think the mining industry is any better or any worse than any, you know, any of the other heavy industries, whether it's forestry, oil and gas, or anything like that. It, and the the use of EPCMs and projects. I mean, uh, whether you're doing dealing with infrastructure or you're building, you know, railroads and transit lines, or or you're building a new mine, or or even expanding a, a mine, has all kinds of of issues around it, uh, it and it's the nature of work. I think that the that mining companies uh, used to have the capability to run and manage projects internally. Certainly, if you look at you know the Rio Tintos, the Anglo Americans, they both had you know project groups or project teams. Uh, Placer Dome, you know, did and uh, you know so. Uh, 
Newmont. And they, you know, gradually over the years, they've gotten rid of those and moved to uh, uh, EPSIM model. I don't think that that's necessarily, um, you know, there's trade-offs on, on all of that. And the big, I guess the, in, the if it, in order to make a uh, partnership work, you have to have transparency and alignment. Um, some of the transparency and alignment and alignment can be built into the partnership, uh, whether either personal relationships or just you know how we work together. Um, I don't think that necessarily. I think that there's going to be a change in how uh, we u- utilize uh, EPCMs, and and you know there may be if you're going to a smaller agile mining thing and you're not going to a huge thing a huge new mine then probably you don't need an epcm and you and you would run it internally uh you might you may get a engineering company to do the design and and then you start to you know you hire um, a manager that is going to oversee and probably is going to build the the project and then run it um, so I can, uh, you know, for smaller or, or medium-sized uh, uh, assets, um, then I think that, the, you know, that's probably the, the future for EPCMs. So EPCMs, um, you know, right now have been, you know, sort of like running contractors. Um, I, I think that, you know, that's not necessarily the, they're the best use of an EPCM. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think, you know, management of the contractor has a whole bunch. If you have three people, do you have an owner's team, an EPCM, and a contractor working on site, um, you know, the the owner's team has to accept a certain amount of standoff. They can't, you know, put their arms on on yeah. a contractor and, and, and help them to become more productive because the EPCM is really engaged with that. Yeah. Um, and... So I think that that, that trade-off, it, that uh, focus is going to be an area that uh, mining companies have to look at. Uh, and that, and the EPCMs have to look at as well. They have to look at how do they engage and how transparent are they uh, with the owner's team. You can't have an owner's team that is, you know, they're living and dying by that schedule. The NPV for that project is based on time to ore. Yeah. Uh, and if the EPCM or the contractor is suffering productivity setbacks, either from design side or from, you know, just how we deploy and engage with people, then then, both, then everybody needs to focus on that critical issue. So I think that that is going to change the, the use of EPCMs and probably how we engage with them, but also whether, you know, what exactly are we asking them to do? Yeah, certainly. Well, that's an interesting, uh, interesting thought moving forward. Uh, how, yeah, how how a mine is actually structured and put together in terms of like the owner, the contractor, if they if they've got a contract miner coming in, and then potentially a third party who design, manage, and engineer the project. So yeah, no, that's a that's an interesting thought. Um, really appreciate your time, John, for um, for doing this podcast. Um, I think a lot. I think the audience will um, get a lot from this, and and also make them think about their own jobs and also own companies and practices that they're doing. Um, 
post-COVID once this all dies down um, and look at the variety of different changes that, it, that are actually happening in the mining industry. Um, and then post-COVID, once things get back to, back to more normal, um, whether those processes can be repeated and improved. Um, I think everyone listening should look at their own jobs and see how um, improvements can be made. So I think you brought, raised quite a few points there. Um, and then people can actually look at their own jobs and implement and listen to what you've said and potentially implement some of those into their own um, day-to-day job. So um, if anyone wants to reach out to you, um, how can they go about doing that? And are you on any social media platforms? Oh, that's a, so obviously Proudfoot has a website and we have a, a contact us uh, e- email um, and, you know, happy to, to, uh, and generally if they, if it's directed at us through the web or through me, at me through the website, I'll respond. So that's, that's no problem. Um, and I'm not on, <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn uh, if you want to connect with me and, and have a chat. And I'm a member of a couple of the professional um, groups that are on LinkedIn ar- around uh, change leadership and as well operational uh, effectiveness and as well mine operations. So you know, happy to um, chat with anybody. I mean, I think, obviously, <laughs> I bring an awful lot of enthusiasm uh, to this. So, I, yeah, I'm happy to chat with anybody, uh, especially, um, well, I, you know, I guess, especially since the Proudfoot business model is not to charge people for ideas, but to help speed up the implementation. Yeah. So, really, the ideas, to a certain extent, are free. Um, and I'm happy to I'm, so I'm happy to share and discuss. I think the, the, the hard part is not, you know, what does the solution look like? I think that's the easy part. I think the hard part is actually implementing the solution. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, you know, so happy to have a, have a chat with anybody. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, and I, I've known you for a, li- a little while now, and um, I know you're very enthusiastic about, um, about the mining industry and how, how things can be improved. So, um, yeah, I can certainly... Uh, Certainly vouch for you. Um, so hope everyone enjoyed listening. Um, please pass the, this episode on to anyone else out there, maybe colleagues that you know, other people that you may have worked with previously who you think could benefit from listening to this podcast and any other episodes that we've done. Um, want to keep promoting, promoting the podcast out to all four corners of the world. Um, really appreciate your, your comments um and people emailing me um directly or through the website um obviously encouraging me to to keep doing these podcasts i really enjoy them so um yeah keep those comments coming um keep promoting the podcast uh, uh, on various social media platforms that you may may be on um this is also going to go on our YouTube channel as well. Um, unfortunately, we had a, a few technical issues around the video, um, but it's still, it will still be on uh, the YouTube channel as well. Um, so, yeah, please keep sharing. Please co- keep commenting. Um, and if there's any other topics you want us to, um, uh, to cover, please, uh, please let us know. So um, hope everyone stays safe. And, um, yeah, let's keep the, the mining industry going. Thanks and- very much, Rob. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. And I always finish off with telling everyone um, about 
obviously mining and um, how how everyone should be happy. So um, happy mining. Happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.